Welcome to the deep dive. Uh, I'm Colin. You're Ben. Are, are you still Ben? Am I? You are Ben. I would okay. Benjamin. Oh, I actually noticed on your when we had that that podcast with uh, the interview with Corey Olson that you had your full name on your, your on my podcast, Zoom account on your yeah. Zoom account. Yeah, so yeah. what what what's your full name again? My full name is Benjamin Michael William McDonald. Oh, excellent. Oh, yeah. Quite like other than the, I guess, Jewish name at the beginning, the Hebrew name at the yeah, beginning. It's it's very Scottish. Very Scottish. Good good man. Michael William McDonald. I, that's, yes. Yeah. And I'm Colin Neil Wallace. Yeah, and you're Wallace. Oh, I'm a Wallace. You got a little yeah. bit of the old... You got the William, I got the Wallace. Together, you, Wallace, are you we Braveheart? are patriots yeah. of Scotland. Oh, definitely. <laughs> Never been. Or at least New Scotland. We're in New Scotland. We're in New Scotland. Yeah. yeah. Are no, you, I've, I've do, not been. Are you a Braveheart guy? Did you watch Braveheart? Oh, it? yeah. Oh, yeah. When that was it, like one of my favorite movies growing up. Totally. Um, and when that movie came out, everyone got a VHS copy in my in my family. That was like the number one gift. The two of the that. two VHS. The sets. two yes, yeah, you needed because to. it was a long one. It's a it was a long one. That but is yeah, a good movie. It's good. It's good. By the way, I've been wanting to ask you, what era Batman is? It? I mean, people who are listening obviously can't see this, but we always have a Batman on. You wear your Batman shirt. I yes. noticed actually, this is more important because I noticed you took your Toronto Maple Leaf sweater off before this began, and I was wondering, like, was that because you don't want to like tell everybody that you're I, a heretic or something? Oh, oh like, no, that... no. I'm, I'm proud to be a, a Leaf fan, but I'm more proud to be a, a Batman I thought you fan. Were, I thought you were saved, though. Yeah, well, you know, the, you this were... is one of those heresies I think we should talk about in the show, you know. We're either losing viewers there or gaining viewers <laughs> <laughs> by that. I don't know, but yes. grew up Habs, so... So um, there you go. Well, there that this might be the last episode of the deep dive. <laughs> this might be. Yeah, you might be seeing it coming, <laughs> No, I. That's all right. First of all, I just felt uh, you know I didn't need it. It was like it's snugly warm in here. Yes. Um, and second of all, I, I'm like I want to match our mascot of yeah. the deep dive here, Batman. Good stuff. Yeah. Well, We're both fans of Batman. We are definitely. Yeah, I've yes. always been a Batman fan. What's your big pull with Batman? Why? Why him? Um, it was actually uh, in 1986 when the Dark Knight Returns graphic novel oh, came wow. out okay, yeah. by Frank Miller and uh, Lynn Varley. So you were reading, uh, it was the comic books that really, you, yes. okay, you're hardcore. Yes, and that, that, and that graphic novel particularly really relaunched Batman and he was like, he was, and really brought out mm -hmm. how... Uh, driven and dark and stuff that he is and stuff like that. So, so yeah, I, there's so many things you can say. It is an intro. I'm, I am interested in this actually at a theological level in one sense, For because sure. one of the, one of the reasons why I watch say Marvel and, and some of the DC stuff, some of the DC stuff is, uh, <laughs> Oh, don't be dissing DC. <laughs> uh, well, okay, fine. We won't get okay, into that. We'll go, no. But one of the reasons why I do is because, you know, we've been talking actually on this podcast about mythologies. Yes. And they, it really is a cultural mythos totally. that, you know, and it's always interesting because, you know, like the Tony Stark, you know, people are familiar with the Avengers know That's that right. is obviously a Christ-like illusion there uh, that, you know, if you really pick it apart, it's interesting to me, the Iron Man character in particular, how he represents this sort of modern idea that like he's a regular guy, but with the powers of science and technology, he can be like a God. Yes. And I think that that is like, you know, that's really at the basis of, you know, <laughs> he's egotistical, he's rich, he's all these things. And, uh, and he's the Christ-like figure. Mm -hmm. So anyway, that's maybe a jab at it, but at he the gets same there, time, it's, uh, you know, he gets there in the end, you yeah. know, being the, 
person to get. I think up. it kind of helps. It, it, it to There's me is just like a cultural arc, right? study. You know, you can watch those movies and Absolutely. figure out like what's the myth sort of driving everybody, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's going to have to be a future. Yeah, episode. You know, the oh, gospel sure. according to the Marvel Cinematic Universe. All kinds of theological stuff well, about and then, Batman and Batman for sure. For sure, when we do our episode about um, theophany, or no, excuse me, theodicy. theodicy I always get those yes. mixed up. Which theophany, an appearance of God. Yes, theodicy, theodicy the debate the about evil, the, yeah. yeah, the problem. How could of a evil. good God allow for something? And when we do our theodicy episode, I wrote a paper about theodicy in uh, in Batman uh, one, uh, and Batman. Oh, that'd be and, great. Yeah, because so there's de- yeah, that's that. definitely a theme in that. For sure. But speaking of mythology, yes. um, you were mentioning to me earlier that you were on, was it Twitter that you said? And, and yeah, I find an so, many, that you noticed. so many discussions on Twitter that just generate, I think, interesting topics in the day. Yeah. So I figured it might be a good way to talk about stuff today, too. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah. I'll, <laughs> well, let me just tell you what I saw on well, Twitter. Well, please do. It was today we want to talk about C.S. Lewis. Yes. And uh, C.S. Lewis, obviously, again, we've been talking about the Bible and we've been talking about this idea of, of mythology. We talked with uh, Corey Olson, uh, the Tolkien professor. Yay. Um, and we weren't sure, I should say, we weren't sure whether we were going to put that out before this episode or not. But, uh, but it, eh, we'll figure it out. It's nice because it's kind of in our heads. So yes. <laughs> we want to carry on with that. But he had some great points about mythology storytelling how it doesn't necessarily mean fiction uh it doesn't have to be not rooted in a history or anything like that but it's it's a way of understanding the world through these things and uh and and c.s lewis is obviously a major proponent of this or i guess that's Mm. not obvious if we haven't talked about it yet but the point is you know he wrote all of the narnia stuff he was a big storyteller and he was pivotal in my conversion. And what I saw on Twitter was basically people arguing about, is he worth reading? Mm. Because to a lot of people, C.S. Lewis is, he's, you know, he was this brilliant writer and he did a lot of like theological stuff, but he wasn't a theologian. No. He was an English major, right? I mean, he was an English guy. And, uh, and so even Corey brought that up about, you know, Lewis was more didactic more of a teacher mm-hmm. and Tolkien was more of just a plain old storyteller and was like, yes, you don't. And, and, and part maker. of his Catholicism, I thought that was interesting that Corey mentioned that. Whereas part of his, part of Tolkien's Catholicism was there's a sort of hierarchy of like, if you're not a theologian or you're not a clergyman yeah. or something like that, stay then away from kind of stay away from trying to teach it too much. And so I saw on Twitter all these people saying like, yeah, you don't really need to read C.S. Lewis. And I just want to say I totally disagree. I Me think too. Lewis is a treasure to, uh, to the Christian faith, yep. to anybody who's trying to go deeper with it. There's such a wide range of stuff that he does. And today I thought we could just dive in a little deeper to what he, how he sort of constructed um, an argument for the Christian faith. Because that's another thing. He did a lot of apologetic work. Yep. Um, but just kind of taking a look at his yeah. overall oeuvre. That was probably his one of his main things, right? In his nonfiction was a lot of apologetics, a lot of Yeah, it was. Well, and this is the other gaps. reason. So so I, I, I should just add a personal element here that, that I, in my early 20s, you know, I was raised in the church, but in my early yeah. 20s, I was around the time was around the time when YouTube was just littered with the new atheists. Yeah. And I don't know how many people are familiar with them, but I mean, you know, Richard, Dawkins, Richard Dawkins, Sam Harris, Christopher Hitchens, probably the most you know, 
God bless Christopher Hitchens strong. wherever yep, he is. Absolutely, but he yeah. was a jerk. <laughs> he was, <laughs> and that's kind of what appealed to so that's, many people. Yeah, he was so charismatic sure. and yeah. um, just had a way with words. A likable jerk, but Daniel Dennett was the last of those guys. Who was yeah. a philosopher. I don't really know what's going on with him anymore. But um, but at the time, they were everywhere. And they were attacking Christians, and I was still kind of young in my faith, uh, you know, even though I was a young man, I still, I didn't know a whole lot. I hadn't gone to school yet for it, for sure. And um, and I couldn't really rebut them mm. properly. I didn't know how to, like, combat them. And one of the main things that they constantly attacked was the sort of moral fabric behind religion in general, and Christianity they were taking, obviously, specific aim at. Um, but... I, I felt like that 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 hit me pretty hard, actually. And I had friends who kind of were disciples of them. And and they would ask me questions. And it was sort of this mocking, taunting kind of way yes. of just like, well, you know, are you really any better? I know all these crazy Christians who are doing horrible stuff and some atheists who are doing pretty good stuff. So, like, what do you got, you know? Yeah. And, of course, and, it's not as simple as that. Of, well, of course, it's not. But they uh, make it sound like that. But I didn't know how to argue if it wasn't. And C.S. Lewis, particularly his book, Mere Christianity, which I think we could maybe talk about in depth today if we're going to sure. talk about one of his works, is really a, pers a very persuasive argument from a guy who was once an atheist who converted to Christianity because it was quite reasonable. To, I mm -hmm. mean, it just what he outlines in Mere Christianity is that when you really think about it, this is a reasonable thing to believe. Yeah. And he does this in Mere Christianity on a, on a moral argument. It's really one large moral argument for the Christian faith, um, though he brings in some other elements. And, and so that was key to your... That was key to me. Coming come back to faith. Yeah, because he gave he gave a sort of uh, a tone of I understand the doubter's position. Yes, and and to this point about I also understand he, he has a really quite a long explanation about why it's totally okay to see that many Christians are no different than other people in the sense that they're they're on this journey. Christianity can make them better, but they might have been pretty despicable people. Mm -hmm. And some Christians perhaps also think they believe in Christianity when really they're following some form of an idol. Yes. And so he has this way of parsing out just the, the way of looking at people within the church and saying, it doesn't mean they're all going to be shiny, lovely people right away. Yeah. My experience with uh, Lewis is a yeah. little different than yours. I... I have actually not sat down and read his nonfiction stuff. I've read most of his fiction stuff. Mm. So the Narnia, um, you read the Narnia books. I've read the Narnia books, but before even that, I read his uh, space trilogy. Um, yeah. So Out of the Silent Planet, which is great. Paralandra, which is great. Uh, uh, this hideous darkness, mm -hmm. this hideous strength, that hideous strength, um, which is dense and mysterious and... I'm still not sure if I've completely understood it, but I that uh, challenge accepted. I need to. Read I've that never again. read that, but it's good. It's actually so good. I've seen it in more recent years gain some more traction because, and I think some scholarship has been done on it. Some really good scholarship it's about really good. It's about really good again uh, about Lewis's sort of background with understanding Greek and Roman mythology and yeah. its intertwining with all of that. What did you find was like sort of the driving force behind those books? Um, I really loved, again, we're talking about uh, mythology and a lot of the um, stories I like, uh, fantasy literature books, shows, movies, whatever, 
uh, a lot of the 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 fantasy and the speculative fiction I like is stuff that makes you think mm-hmm. as well. That mm-hmm. it's not just entertaining, but you also just kind of go, hmm, there was a, a point there. And and I find Lewis's stuff, Space Trilogy or Narnia, do a great job of doing that. Perhaps perhaps a bit more stronger on his didactic side sometimes uh, with some of the mm-hmm. Narnia books than... Uh, than uh, than the space trilogy. The space it was a trilogy. little bit more of that that sense of actually just a just a mythological narrative sort yes. of thing. That... But as we talked about with Corey Olson, I mean, uh, he just can't help but teach in his as he's writing. So he not mm. doesn't just mm-hmm. write a, a a fun adventure story, um, but he also uh, brings out strong moral points and and yeah, and makes you think. So, and, and, you know, so while I've not read a lot of, uh, or anything, uh, nonfiction of yes. Lewis, I would say all of the writers and authors that I read, like theology, Bible, scholarship, that kind of thing, they will all contend with Lewis though. Yeah, you know, I don't right. know if there's a credible author I've read of Christianity that hasn't mm-hmm. at some point said quoted from Lewis or yeah, he, he you know, is he's just one of those giant. liked by all kind yeah. of guys. And I mean, well, and not always, I mean, he's not without criticism, certainly, sure. but I feel like he's been a friend to most uh, denominations and to theologians as well. So one of the things you just mentioned there that I think is a good point to raise is that Lewis, and this again was pivotal to me at that point of conversion and yeah. why I think he's so helpful with people who are open to the faith, but still doubting and struggling is he is adamant about, the fact that Christian theology demands us to think about Mm. our faith and to think through our faith. And so he's got a couple of quotes about this where he says, basically, and I'll be paraphrasing him here and there, but you know, where Christianity doesn't require any specific high intellect, but it will require all of the intellect you Mm -hmm. have. Um, It is in one sense, deeply simplistic, the Christian faith that you can tell a child even that it is, you know, you, you were made good, but there are bad things that you can see in the world. And so God loved you enough that he entered into that, that sin and that death and all of those things so that you could be saved. You know, that's a pretty simple message in one sense. We can all understand that and we can have a childlike faith, but there's also this other side that is the deep complexity of Christian theology that we shouldn't shy away from, that that Lewis is saying it's as difficult as physics for all the same reasons. Why would it be simple? I mean, you know, why would it not be uh, something that we have to really think about? And and one of the things that Lewis talks about there is the fact that there's Christians are often on the journey of a balancing act. They are, there's not a lot of just clear black and white stuff. Mm. It's one of the reasons why there's a rhythm to the faith that there's, you know, he was an Anglican. So there's a sense of this liturgy and, and kind of certain ritual practices, even that like you're in the habit of, of doing and being and acting in certain ways that help you think through these things as you encounter them in your life. If that makes sense. Do you know what I mean? Like there's a, if if I can push back on you a bit, or, sure. or at least maybe say, do you think that perhaps some of the pushback that you saw on social media there of people saying you don't have to read them, is does some of that have to do with the, with Lewis's um, uh, presentation of Christianity as something that requires brain power? Is that or that something that requires 
that black and white simplicity, because I think there's a lot of Christians, and I know I've met some in churches that I've attended or pastored, where people don't want to think. Just tell me what to believe, and sure. I'll just go about it, and they just want to leave it at that. Is that kind of where well, you think? Do you know what's funny is that I'm sure that's there, yeah. and I definitely have, I could see that criticism happening. But largely, no, I actually think it was the other way around. I think it was a lot of people thinking that Lewis is too much of a layperson's theology mm. and there's much richer stuff out there. So why bother with C.S. Lewis if you could read Karl Barth? Why bother with, you know, th this guy who's an English major when you could go read Bavink and you could go read, you know, these great theologians who, who are much richer? I disagree. I don't think, I don't necessarily think that... Um, the distinction is, um, you know, shouldn't be made. Mm. Uh, you know, obviously there are theologians who are very rich and who are trained in that field. But Lewis, Lewis is no slouch. Lewis yes. is a very uh, a perspicacious reader of the Bible. Good word. Okay, he's got a ready insight into what's going on here. And again, this this ability, the ability to write. You know, this is actually something that's been brought up in theological circles. I don't think it's uh, it's something actually deeply. Uh, involved in my own research, that form and content are are together uh, in a way in which, it, what I'm trying to say is that how we do theology, if it's not sort of beautifully done, if it's not crafted well, if it's not expressed in a way that is also beautiful, then it actually makes the content of the theology itself suffer. So when an English major writes about theology and is uses just beautiful aesthetic language, it helps us actually grow closer. So I think Lewis is a real gift there. Mm -hmm. And and yeah, you got to recognize like the kind of arguments he's making. Maybe they're more base level than like he's not going into intra-Trinitarian relations or something. He's not going into massive arguments of metaphysics. But the challenges that he poses, I think just even, you know, I was talking about mere Christianity as a big moral argument. Mm -hmm. um, these these things need to be dealt with and have been dealt with and contended with by, by, by many theologians. And they pose real challenges to critics and atheists as well. Um, we, just to go outside mere Christianity for a second, actually, sure. there's another, one of his greatest works, in my opinion, is called the Screwtape Letters. Yes. It's just a, a, an insight into, I think, the brilliance behind C.S. Lewis, one of the things that he does. Um, Screwtape, the Screwtape Letters is written... Uh, in the voice of Uncle Screwtape, who is a demon, who is tutoring his protege, Wormwood, who is a another demon in training. Okay? So he's trying to bring him up. And it's, it's like Paul writing to Timothy in he, the opposite. In reverse. You know, the wrong exactly. side. Yeah. Totally, totally. And that's an amazing... And, what it, and so you constantly have to rethink the theology because what he's doing is he's saying like when the enemy does this but by enemy he means god because it's a demon <laughs> talking so it's constantly getting you to like kind of flick back and forth yes and uh and I, I let me draw a parallel because this isn't they're not synonymous but i mean it's it's close to what somebody like the philosopher kierkegaard actually did kierkegaard as a philosopher as a christian philosopher wrote all the time under pseudonyms he would mm. never use his real name right? Johannes de Silentio is the author of Fear and Trembling or something, mm. right? And, and people always went, why, are you, why would you write in those different names? And, you know, there's a number of reasons. But one reason 
is because Kierkegaard wanted you to really think through what he was saying and not just appeal to authority and go, well, Kierkegaard's a real smart guy and he said this. So yes. why don't, and he's like, maybe I didn't say that. Maybe this character said that. Mm. And in obviously not the same way, but in a parallel way, what Lewis is doing in something like Screwtape is he's using this, his sort of skills as an English major, you know, uh, as somebody who's really good with literary texts and is going, what if we change the narrative so that whoever's listening to this has to like stop for a minute and then put it in reverse in order to make sense of it. Yes. Right. They have to think about it a second way. Um, th that to me is one of these brilliant strokes of, of, of his genius that, you know, you're just like, wow. Okay. You're, you're not anybody can just do that. I think there's a lot of connection between theology, Bible scholarship and English. You're doing a lot of the same things. You're 100%. working with the text yeah. You know, uh, the Bible, you're, you're getting deep into it. Who wrote it? What happened? You're reading it again and again and finding something new from it, from not just the point, but yeah. the language used. And, and then we write our own fan fiction about it, which is, you know, well, mere Christianity or whatever 100%. book you want to mention any book in the Christian bookstore, if there are Christian bookstores anymore, yeah. That in a lot of ways you could say that's fan fiction. We're all Bible fans. I'm a <laughs> I'm an English major myself. I did nice. my English degree was my undergrad, and it's for that very reason. Yeah, I mean, like when I was, I probably wouldn't have looked at religious studies at the time much with any seriousness. But I was kind of going between like history, philosophy. What did I want to do? And I landed on English because it was everything in one. It's like you yes. can't move away from. And, and certainly any classic texts, it, the more you know the Bible, the better you'll know what they're talking about. So Lewis, I think, is kind of in that vein yes. of, you know, when you look, you want to read like some real deep, amazing theology that's just abstract in a way that we don't typically get it, would be like John Milton's Paradise Lost, mm. where suddenly, you know, Satan is this protagonist and and like I, I just the you know the narrative of the fall, how he imagines that, yes. and it, it's all an allegory, of, you know, about the republic and and the monarchy at the time. Yeah. But it's these are deep theological works. Lewis kind of falls more in that category of combining biblical study with with uh, literary classics, with mythology, with all that stuff, bringing it together. A very creative approach, very creative, to it. Approach. and and you can just come at things. It's it's. You know, I've heard it said, uh, I forget who said this, uh, that the front door of sometimes people's lives is very guarded. The front door to their minds is guarded. Hmm. You kind of have to slip in, find a way to slip in through the back door. Yeah, Because right. people are, you know, don't talk to me about religion. Don't talk to me about politics. You know, like all, mm -hmm. I, I, that's heavily defended. But if you find a way in their back door, you can get to a place where you really connect with people. And I think creativity you oh, know, like Lewis, and I think Lewis, like oh, he's, Paradise he's Lost, brilliant like doing that. Pilgrim's Progress, Lord of the Rings, whatever. Those totally. sorts of works. Well, and that's do where, that. like, Screw Tape Letters is a book you, could, you could easily hand to an atheist yeah. and go, and they would love it. I, mm -hmm. And I've seen them love it. I mean, actually, as a matter of fact, it, just a plug for this, too. There's an audio book version of it with John Cleese reading it, which is perfect. Oh, right? I'll bet that My dear awesome. Wormwood. Yeah, it's very good. Um, one of the things, yeah, what, what I wanted to say also about Screwtape Letters, yes. where it's just this brilliant thing that he's doing, is that he's also developing something that I think you see as a pervasive theme throughout all of his works, where the demon is encouraging certain things that would appear to most Christians as virtues. So 
so there's this idea within Lewis that creation is good, created by a good God, but that evil manages to pervert things in every which way. Yes. And so your good intentions may be the very road that the devil is trying to take in order to snare you, right? Mm-hmm. To put you into a into a snare. So when you're reading screw tape, you're seeing him advise, you know, it's like they're deliberating as to like, oh, so uh, the the patient, they call it, the patient who they're trying to deceive, right? You know, yes. He started going to church. Should we discourage him from doing that? Maybe not. Right. The demon goes, well, maybe we actually keep him going to church and we keep him going all the time. And he becomes really pietistic. And all of a sudden Very he has out of his maybe he maybe we just develop a spiritual pride. Maybe that's the angle. And it so it makes you think in this much larger way about good and evil right. and the ways in which it kind of works. And so that was actually one of the questions we yeah. had for Corey Olson was that's that, right. you know, in Tolkien, you kind of see like evil doesn't really get center stage all the time. It's it's more it's he, Tolkien is really interested in the goodness of every day. That's right. Celebrating food and drink, right? The hobbits are always eating and feasting and stuff like that, and and it's all about celebrations. And when evil is brought up, it's sort of like we defeat it, we fight it, but it's not. We're not going to give it its own voice. Lewis, I think, far more does that, where he's like, evil is pervasive in all of these places, and so we need to fight against those forces and be careful with it. Yeah, Lewis and Tolkien both discuss that kind of vampiric quality of of uh-huh. evil that that good is existence good yeah. is what god has made good is what is real mm-hmm. and evil is an, an unmaking it's an undoing of that good it's it's, it's vampiric a it, exactly. you, know, you can't have an evil thing you have a good thing that has been made evil so and yeah precisely what mere Christianity does, which I think is interesting, is that sometimes you get moral arguments from Christians that, and and this is also correct, I don't want to say it's not, it's absolutely correct, Mm -hmm. to say morality would be, morality would look a lot different if you didn't have Christians, okay? Like, the Romans didn't think that equality for all people was a good thing. Absolutely. Until Christianity came around, there there wasn't egalitarianism in the way of, like, you know, the women, the poor, the, you know, whatever, are raised to the level of kings and monarchs, right? That doesn't, that doesn't exist outside Christianity. So we revolutionized morality. But Lewis is actually arguing more from the other standpoint of saying, like, you do have an inherent sense of goodness within you because you're a child of God. Yes. There's a pervasive good that is, is kind of to be found everywhere. And he says, this is why, to your point about evil is vampiric, it's a negation. This is an Augustinian talking point, yes. right? Evil doesn't create. Evil cannot create. Evil is not a thing. Karl Barth referred to it as das Nichtige, right? The nothing. Okay. Doesn't this sound great when you say something? Oh, uh, if you say it in German, it's always great. <laughs> That's why I read Karl Barth. It's fantastic. That's right. But but the idea that the mythology again of and like again, I'm, this isn't to say like take it as literally as you want to. Lewis himself talks mere Christianity about saying like I'm not I'm not talking about the devil as having hoofs and horns if you don't want to talk about it that way. Yes. But it's very important that the Bible describes Satan as a fallen angel. Mm. That he was a good thing turned bad. That's right. And that's the only way that evil can kind of get its claws into stuff is if it taints the good. Yes. And so this is, that is such a driving force for Lewis. 
and and this leads to a certain uh, a, a certain I, I think argument for our morality in that same sense that you you have a will and an intellect and those are good things but evil is only possible through will and intellect so the yeah. very means by which evil enters into the human body into our cultures into anything is only through good things yes that are that are misdirected and then lewis has this great argument about the fact that he goes that means that we're all looking at a crooked line, but you can't have a crooked line unless there's a straight line to begin with. Right. So you always need to be, you kind of have like the very presence of evil in the world is the argument that God has to be, God has to be an all good, loving, real being, yes. you know, and that, that, you know, and, and again, like those are debates people have had and you can, I, I don't know what the atheist rebuttals to those yeah. are. I can't even remember them because they're not that good. I don't know but. if people make <laughs> those kind of arguments to atheists though, because a lot of yeah. atheists will make the argument that you don't have to be a Christian. You don't have to be religious to be good. And the argument I would make back is you don't know what is good outside of Christianity because mm. this is Christianity one of Lewis's has main been points. so yeah. pervasive in Western uh, society. Absolutely. Again, you make the really good point. And I haven't read this yet, but I've heard uh, him talk about it in a, a podcast. Tom Holland, a British historian, Love him. has yeah. written a book. You, have you read this? Or I, I know. I'm, I'm very familiar with Tom Holland. Awesome. Great so Roman he, historian. Yeah. So he's apparently got a book. It's on my list to buy. Mm -hmm. I haven't read it yet, but he's making the point that the, the morals that we take for granted today, as yeah. you say, um, equal treatment of people. Uh, justice for everyone. Exactly. Everyone should have access to health care and other things like that. Um, although maybe our American listeners won't necessarily agree with that. <laughs> oh, sorry. I love Americans. Shot. So just, just a little bit of a shot. Um, but but these sorts of, of ideas that we have, yeah. again, do not come from pre-Christian Rome or Greece or uh, Mesopotamia right. or Egypt. Uh, all of those those places had very different ideas about what was good and what was right totally. um, and what was... It's so funny you brought that up. Actually, I, I actually had Tom Holland in my head as well. I was thinking of the same guy because uh, I've heard him talk about this. And I think it's important to note, I don't think Tom Holland is like a full-on confessing Christian either. No. He's just like a historian. I think he's kind of agnostic. And he plays Spider-Man too. And he also plays... <laughs> yeah. Not that Tom oh, Holland. Not that... No. Okay, Different sorry. guy. Although I'm sure he'd make a great Spider-Man. Yeah. Because he's definitely a kind of nerdy dude who is rather spindly from what i've said no i don't oh well maybe um, he wouldn't look so good in the suit then <laughs> maybe not you know? <laughs> but I no because I, I thought exact this exact point he, he's debated i think on radio shows uh, the unbelievable podcast if you've heard mm. of that i think yeah, he debated tom wright and he wright and they didn't end up debating at all tom Allen was like no you're totally correct like <laughs> without, without paul uh, you know without paul preaching the gospel like Rome looks, you know, got flipped on its head completely by this guy's ethics. Like they yes. are so foreign to, you know, and so we take, and so that's his argument is that like, you have no idea how Christian you are. You're all taking it for granted. Uh, here's, here's the thing that, the thing that Lewis is trying to hit on is the fact that Jesus is only after one thing, and that is your perfection. Mm. Nothing else. So he constantly reiterates this this sort of moral talking point through mere Christianity, that what he's saying is Jesus is always interested in helping you, but he is only interested in helping you go all the way. There's no halfway mark with Christ. He's going to take over your entire life, mm. 
and wants all of it. And so he has this saying where he said, and I think he gets it from George MacDonald, who's one of his huge influences, who I also encourage everybody to read. But he says where God is easy to please and hard to satisfy. Mm. And so what he's saying is Jesus demands absolutely everything you got. Christianity is about this perfection, but God is satisfied to receive your bumbling efforts at attempting it. Yes. And he references George MacDonald here, but I, I actually remember encountering this idea first in actually John Calvin and the Institutes, where basically it looks something like this, where like I, I, my daughter, Josephine, is two years old. If I asked Josephine to say a word, she's quite good, so she can say most things now. But if I were to say to her when she's young, even younger than she is now, if I were to say, you know, say banana, and she goes, na, 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 na. <laughs> and you're like, that wasn't quite the word, but am I displeased with that attempt at saying, no, I'm overjoyed because yes. she's my child. And this is kind of what Lewis is saying about like Christ wants all of you, but he's pleased with the first step. And so you can, you can improve slightly, but really what we're after is transformation. Yes. And so, um, all transformation leads to improvement. Not all improvement leads to transformation is kind mm. of the point I was going back to there. Once you're on this road, there's no turning back. There's yes. no kind of like halfway doing it. And this applies to Jesus himself about who is Jesus. There's a famous, the Lord lunatic liar yep, argument that gets brought up in American Christianity. And so many people have quoted that, whether they know even know it's from Lewis or not. Yeah. Like that's a, right. you probably maybe have not, you know, some of our listeners may not have read Lewis. Some might be familiar with it. But if you've been know. in church... Odds yeah, you probably heard it. You'll you'll hear someone. And, a bit, say and it. again, the argument is basically that there's Jesus doesn't present a halfway option. Mm -hmm. Lewis is particularly taking aim there at the idea that the silly idea he says that you could somehow say he's not God, but he's pretty good. Yes, right. Like he's a good moral teacher. No, he's not. Yeah, because right? if if he's just a good moral teacher. What he had to say it makes no sense. Yeah, he uses all just break down the argument kind of that he he you know he'll talk about the idea that like Colin if you jumped across the table and punched me right now, I could forgive you for that. But if another guy came in here and was like, Colin, you're forgiven for hitting Ben. <laughs> I'd be like, what are you doing? <laughs> you know, like, well, you can't do that. Right. And, and only the son of God can do that. Only he has the authority to do that. And if he's not that person, there is one example Lewis uses. If he's not that person, then, then he's either foolish completely or he's lying or, you know, he's certainly not humble. You certainly not. You can't call that humility unless he truly is who he says he is. Yes. Right? Um, and so I like the analogy. I think Lewis says he's either as mad as a man who refers to himself as a poached egg or he's the devil of hell. But you can't have. That's right. But or he's the Lord of all creation and you can bow at his feet. This is the Jesus who you're presented with. If you just want to talk about him being a good guy, the Bible refutes that completely in the in the teachings that Jesus puts forward. So. I, I, what I would like to say and add to that, though, is that the one rebuttal I have heard that has any has ever lasted with me yep. is it's possible that maybe there's a fourth option. Maybe it's not just that Lord Lunatic or Liar, but what if it's all just made up? What if the Bible's just a story and then you don't really need to decide if he's any of these things because he's God in a mythologic, purely mythological sense where right. it's like, you know, you don't have to. And actually, Lewis addresses that argument sort of sort of off to the side, but he addresses it in mere Christianity because he's working on a on the premise that Christianity can't be made up. Um, 
some apologists might not use this argument often, and I don't know how strong of an argument it would be against some atheists, but it has been contended by many scholars. The peculiarity of Christianity as an absurd story that changes, like it radically defies certain notions of like how we just approach things common mm-hmm. sense you know, with common sense, that you can't just make this up. Yeah. And he references that in Mere Christianity. And I think it's just a valid point to make uh, that I, this is something I've encountered as well with not to not to keep uh, throwing in names and stuff, but he's somebody I've mentioned before, René Girard, yeah. who as a literary critic, his conversion to Christianity happened because he read the Bible after reading all great classical mythology and went, the Bible inverts all of those mythological narratives it Mm. changes them in such a way it can't be false it has to be true because because no one's ever thought of it this way before yes (laughs) it's it's more than just a novel idea it's like it totally changed the game and he's he's referring to the idea of uh, a whole bunch of things one one of them being though that that jesus is completely innocent as the scapegoated victim of that might be a little complex but i'm just saying the the notion that that you actually do have to contend with the Lord lunatic liar distinction. Why? Because this isn't this narrative. This myth is the one myth that's true. Yes. Um, and it's and, a real, you know, it's a real thing that you have to question. Yeah. And to add to what you and, and Lewis were saying there about that, that fourth option mm-hmm. again, you know, I just finished my master's, you finished your master's, you're working on your, yep. your PhD. None of the, the biblical scholars, theologians, historians, even, you know, who know about the biblical period, whatever kind of throw the Bible out and kind of say, yeah, it's all made up. Like no credible person would say that. I mean, they no. might they might pick apart certain I, things. I have heard maybe some. they don't necessarily believe. Yeah, but I think overall, the the lion's share of scholars would say who know their stuff. Yeah, I would agree. I think the lion's share of them. I have heard other people make it. Yep. Um, and and one of the you know like actually like a good question to raise is some people do look at the text and go, it's clear that we, this is what we've been talking about again with the whole mythology thing Yes, is that clearly the Bible is theologizing in its history for sure, but it's can't be. So, so take for example, this is a great example that, that I've heard skeptics use is that they go, you take the book of Leviticus and the sacrificial system. What happens in the sacrificial system in, in the old Testament? you, place the sins of the people on a scapegoat, literally a goat, okay, that you then send into the wilderness, and then you take the lamb that you slaughter and sprinkle the blood on the altar, okay? Um, What happens in the New Testament, I'm breaking this down very simply, but what happens in the New Testament, Barabbas has the sins of the people placed on him and his scapegoat. He's released. Barabbas is released, and then Jesus is, is crucified. His blood is on the altar, okay? There's clearly a parallel. Skeptics sure. look at that and go, so they're not writing history. They're, they're, they're theologizing. They're yes. writing a narrative to fit Leviticus. I think that's where the scholarship has to come in and say, that's nonsense. It's clearly that clear they are theologizing. Absolutely. But on the basis of events that have taken, Pontius Pilate was the, the procurator or whatever the proper title is of, of Galilee of that time, right? I mean, yeah. like we have the historical records to show that. Um, these events occurred they are then being connected with the Old Testament as a sort of key to unlock what's really happening. Absolutely. But it doesn't mean that it's all... And this is what Lewis, again, I think is trying to play on this idea. It is the one myth that became true. That's right. Um, 
And, and Lewis is great at pointing this out also that he's, you know, there's this argument that he's making about why other mythologies should therefore mimic some of the Christian story, but that Christianity is always going to take a peculiar turn where those myths didn't. Yes. And I think that's a huge, one of the figures we haven't mentioned yet is G.K. Chesterton. Yep. And he's another, another person who I would say is deeply linked to Lewis. He comes a little bit before he's a Catholic journalist, writer, satirist, novelist, um, read G.K. Chesterton if you can. I mean, read his orthodoxy. It's incredible. Yeah, my, my Catholic uh, good friend from Kitchener-Waterloo says uh, Chesterton was Lewis before Lewis. Exactly, <laughs> I would agree. And I yeah. think he's, I th you know, in many ways, I almost think Chesterton's even maybe a, a favorite of mine. I don't know. Yeah. He, that's, that's tough <laughs> to say, but I loved him. But they share a lot in common they do. with this. And, and, and one of the things that I hear Chesterton say that is clearly applied with everything that Lewis is doing is again this existential way of saying like Christianity is is a faith that needs to be tried in order to be true in order to, for you to discover its real truth it requires that you enact it mm. and um, <laughs> I don't know how much that connected to the last point I was trying to make but either way <laughs> um, this is this was a huge I think thing for me when I converted was that um, Lewis, Lewis gave me permission in a sense to pretend for a little while. Mm. And what Lewis means by that, and this is what you find in Chesterton as well, I think, is if, if you're finding it hard to, to kind of get your head around the faith, you need to try what the faith prescribes and you need to engage yourself in some of the practices, not just moral practices, but even the ritual practices that kind of go with Christianity, that you get into this rhythm and that it shapes you and suddenly you're transformed by what, what is going on. Now, that can obviously be problematic if you're, if you're pretending and you know that you're just pretending, but you're trying not to, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? So there's a limit to what, but there's a sense in which Lewis is saying, you, there are certain practices, there are certain habits that you can try and attempt, and through those, Christianity will reveal itself as being true. And this is where it connects to Chesterton, is that Chesterton had this great quote where he said, Christianity has not been tried and found wanting. It has been found difficult and left untried. Mm. That's kind of a mantra for Lewis. I mean, like that he's going, Christianity just takes all of you. Jesus demands perfection. Yeah. And therefore people find it very difficult to accept it because they know the moment they accept it, it means their lives have to change radically. Absolutely. Right. And let me try to weave that, those two points together. Cause we were talking about at one point, you know, how there are some scholars who would say again about Leviticus and the gospels and how yeah. they're, the, you know, they would look at that and it, with their cynical eyes from their, from their position, yeah. from their place, their location, uh, in a in a social intellectual otherwise way experiential way that has to be quote unquote made up that has to be artificial right whereas we're saying it, this is a myth that came true that f through the eyes of faith from the location of someone who has experienced who has stepped into um uh this 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 worldview who has stepped into uh, what it means to to be a Christian ha has gotten a vision mm -hmm. of the eternal sees that and says no this is a this is a divine echo 
This is this is God bringing meaning into mm. history mm-hmm. in a way that has never happened before. Right. And so that that connection then uh, gives you a different perspective. So on so on one level, you know, um, there it's easy for uh, someone to miss out on the meaning of the Bible if if there's not that willing to step in. Willing to um, stay, exactly. Yeah. I think that's it, I, I think echoes what, Kierkegaard again. With I was about of, to say that. Yeah, yeah that was what a I leap into I was faith, say. and that's where I say it's that existential kind of road that yes. that Lewis is kind of giving permission to of saying like, you have to attempt. It's got to be faith seeking understanding. So there, we have to recognize that there's a defiance in us that wants to resist that this is true. Yes, because Jesus demands all of us. Yeah. He likens it, he gives the analogy of like, when I had a toothache as a child, I didn't go to my mother right away if it, until it really hurt. And the reason why is because I didn't fear the fact that if I went to my mom, she was going to give me an aspirin and the pain was going to go away, but she was also going to take me to the dentist the next morning. Yes. And Jesus wants to remove that tooth. He doesn't want to just kind of make the pain go away for a little bit. It's funny you mention that because uh, the teaching at CR uh, this past week uh, was lesson one about denial and... Mm-hmm. Uh, Johnny Baker, the director of the son of the founder of CR, makes the exact same point that when we are, we are in denial as human beings, we might know that we have a, a, a sore tooth, yeah. but we do our best to just ignore it, pretend it's not there, and then it gets worse, and it gets worse, and it gets worse, until eventually you're in a worse place than you were before if you had have just said... <laughs> exactly. I should just do go to the dentist. And right? that and that shows though, I think this is what spoke to me in that analogy as well, was that it was when I was going through my periods of doubt, it was like Lewis was saying, But you know it's true. Mm. And the reason why you're fighting this, Ben, is because if you finally submit, uh, you gotta change some things. You gotta That's say right. goodbye to some people, you gotta say goodbye to some things. Yes. You have to like your life is it doesn't necessarily mean it's all sunshine and roses from here cures are painful right they don't just uh, placate and and do that so so that was a a deep thing the but the the second thing that i think becomes a major point here and again another huge parallel with gk chesterton is that for both of them christianity is also the meaningful thing that opens up meaning in everything else Mm. so that once i give myself over once i surrender myself to Jesus and kind of accept the difficulty that that is and begin on that journey, suddenly all the other things in my life can be seen through that light properly. All of a sudden it makes all the rest of creation and and what's going on uh, viewed through a divine lens and and it situates it all properly. So Lewis has this, another famous quote where he says, I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun has risen, not because I can look directly at the sun, but because by it I see everything else. Yes. Right? Christianity explains all other things. Chesterton had a way of putting that, which also was interesting, where he said, he said sometimes believers, when they're challenged by their faith, by skeptics, they get caught up not knowing where to begin. And he said the reason for that is because you can begin from anywhere. Because Christianity could be argued from this chair, you know, like you could point at any object and yeah. and kind of go from the existence of anything to the truth of Christianity. And he said because of that, it's kind of difficult to know your footing. Yeah. Um, but but this is how Lewis ends mere Christianity, is that he says if you if you go after yourself, if you go after seeking yourself 
and and trying to figure out all the problems that you're having and trying to work through it and it's a sort sort of self-centered gaze you will only find hate mm. you will lose yourself completely you go and search for Christ you will you will get Christ and everything else thrown in absolutely and that becomes the sort of sort of way in which at least Christianity became again open to me in this way of going like Christianity isn't just true because it kind of stands on its own logic and has these things, but it's because it's the master narrative through which everything else makes sense. Yes. And, you know, I, I really appreciate that. Uh, and, and what you say about uh, Lewis's um, uh, remarks about Christ wants all of us, that he makes this moral argument in a mere Christianity towards, you know, God doesn't want just a half measures with you. He yeah. wants to give you, everything you want perfection it's just sad that um lewis stopped short of perfection by not believing in nonviolence. <laughs> right this is going to be that would you know if he had this, that no, he would be in the fullness point. of truth and we're gonna we are gonna debate this uh on a on a further episode in the coming weeks we're gonna talk about just war theory and pacifism because one of the maybe and 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 some people have said it's the weakest part of lewis's theology is that he really did not hold a pacifist position. Lewis went through it's World War I. He yeah, well actually he died in sixty eight, so he went through both wars, but he fought in World War One. Yeah. So did he, Tolkien. So did Tolkien. It shaped them. And there's a clear sense in both Tolkien and Lewis in which we talked about this on the other podcast that that evil is something that needs to be fought. And what Lewis will basically argue is it's not necessarily that violence is never appropriate, but that anger and hate are never appropriate. And so we're going to discuss that in a future episode about those disciplinary measures. Yes. But I so think we should kill another... people with dispassion. <laughs> yeah, right. Okay, we're going to get into it in a further episode. But but this that's was just a teaser. But that's a teaser. Just get, and, get a taste for it. And, and so we're going to get into that. Just to end this episode on saying. Go read C.S. Lewis. Absolutely. Absolutely get into him. Read his fiction. Read his nonfiction. Oh. That is my phone that uh, is supposed to be. I thought that was Darth Vader breathing into the microphone. It, it's, it was supposed to be muted. I put it on do not disturb. And I'm this really is a good sorry. place to end then. Go read your C.S. Lewis. And we'll see you next time on The Deep Dive. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs>